So peer pressure, and especially a lot of us, we get as we get older and as things progress, especially through addiction, we tend to isolate more and more as time goes on. Our circles usually become smaller and smaller. So we lose a lot of that peer pressure, so to speak, and we're normally around, surrounding ourselves by that point by people that are either okay with what we're doing or they don't know. Right. So, like you said, like your, your own peer that pressures yourself, right? That, I would say, instead of saying peer pressure, we could say influence. So what is it in our life that's influencing us? Commercials. Commercials. Country songs. Country songs, music, especially. Music is one of the top ones. That's probably what we'll talk about the most, is music. Movies, media, social platforms, right? All these things, whether we like to agree or not, influence us. They have an influence. They have a semi-hold in our lives. They have an importance. Like, I'm a movie buff, dude. I love movies. I love everything about movies. I like it when they're filmed well. I like when, you know, I, I love good dialogue. I love great stories that I can't figure out before the movies. I, like, I, I love movies. But movies are highly influential. Especially more so now. What are people watching more now than they used to? Shows. What's the difference between a movie and a show? I can spend an hour and a half and watch a movie. The show I'm watching right now has like five seasons. Hour-long episodes. That's a lot of influence. That's a lot of time invested. I'm giving a lot of my attention, a lot of my focus, right? What are we surrounding ourselves with? What's coming through? Consider your eyes and your ears both gates of which things can pass through. What are you feeding into your eye gate? What are you feeding into your ear gate? Like I've said this a hundred times before. I don't know how alcoholics in the midst of trying to recover saturate themselves with country music. Not all country music, of course, but a majority of country music glorifies things like alcohol. Or if you're having issues in your relationship, you're suffering with loneliness, country music is notorious for over-exalting the importance of relationships. That if you don't have a man or if you don't have a woman, you just simply can't be happy. Your whole life is ruined because you're not with that person. Right? Rap music. It's talking about doing a whole bunch of stuff that's going to get you in trouble. When I first got uh, sober, now I took this to the extreme, given, okay? So I'm not asking you to do what I did, but what I did was for almost two years, I listened to no music and I watched no TV. Because I became aware of the stuff that I was listening to and then I started seeing a lot of that stuff in my life when I started paying closer attention to myself. I didn't want that. I wanted to find out who I was without being influenced by other things. Does that make sense? So I, again, I took it extreme. But in that same time period, I began to change what it is I consumed. For me, that was scripture. That was reading. That was stuff like that. Again, I'm not a big reader. I didn't read a book until I was 23 years old. 
I believed before that point that I was incapable of reading in the first place. Um, so that was a huge change for me. So I started reading the Bible. I started reading books. I started reading. So I changed my influence, right? Slowly over time. And then, like I said, about two years, I started listening to music again, watching stuff, and I just became very particular about what it is I listened and watched. I became very particular about who I hung around with, who, who I hung out with. This acronym, OQP, Only Quality People. So if you're struggling to figure out what it is, certain things about you, like to figure out where I stood morally, a good barometer for that is to look who you're hanging around with, who you prefer to be around, how they act, how they think, how they talk, the things they do, right? Reasons being, especially in romantic relationships, we're always going to find someone who is morally equal or below. Why do you think we would do that? So we're not out of our comfort zone. Exactly. We know that they will participate in the things that we would like to participate in. That's why we very seldom try to go for someone who we think is morally superior in some way. Because they're not going to want to stay up all night drinking, possibly. And we would have to change things that we would prefer to keep doing or think and speak in the manners we would like to keep thinking and speaking in in order to accommodate that. So most of the time, again, it's not all the time, it's not 100%, but we try to go morally across. I can make that determination by looking at the people around me. And I'm not talking about people you can't get rid of, like family. Right? I'm talking about the people we choose to be around. Because if you have a friend, guess what your friend can do? Influence you. I don't The whole peer pressure aspect like we're talking about. Can't tell you how many times back in the day I was trying to quit smoking weed, but then I'd be around my boys. Come on, man. We just got it. Like, hey, I got you. We'll spot you. All that kind of, you know, all that kind of stuff. Give in and smoke because I didn't want to sit there while they were smoking. I didn't want to leave. So I did my mental gymnastics and came up with my justifications and went ahead. Right? It was just going to be that one time anyways. Now, is this the end-all, be-all? No, ultimately, we have decisions to make, right? We have to make the choice. We have to decide that's what we're going to do, no matter who it is we're around. But think. What are you constantly putting into yourself? How is it you speak in regards to yourself? When no one's around and you're in thought by yourself, how is it you're perceiving yourself, thinking about yourself, and speaking to yourself? Mainly negative. Mm. I would say most, that would be the case with most of us, right? There's an interesting scripture. It says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart being just your central being, your conscience, so to speak. Right? What I speak, especially when no one's around, 
is a very good way to measure what it is I actually believe. If I'm speaking negatively to myself all the time and, and you come along and you give me a compliment, am I going to be super receiving of that, of that compliment? Or am I going to downplay it? Well, you know, make a joke and play it off. The guilt makes you talk negative. The guilt? Mm-hmm. The right. Shame. The guilt, the shame, the condemnation. If I'm guilty and I'm ashamed, I'm going to condemn myself. That means I'm worthy of punishment. Self-condemnation is me punishing myself. So when I'm in that room alone, right, and I'm having those honest thoughts, or at least semi-honest because they're only coming from one spectrum, the negative, I'm now in agreement with that because I feel worthy of the punishment that I'm giving myself. And then you find it might be really hard to be around really positive and encouraging people. So what do we do? We get around people that usually don't talk about that kind of stuff or that we perceive might be doing just a little bit worse than us. That's why I think we so desperately try to find people that can relate rather than people that can enhance. Because I can't tell you how many times, especially in this environment to where like, I don't want to talk to them because they've never gone through this and I just can't relate. It's not always about relating. It's just in, in a way of saying, I'm not, I'm not fully open-minded yet. I'm not fully ready to learn from whatever source I can. I, get, I know what it's like to want to relate because I can talk about specific things and you'll have a better understanding. Maybe you've felt some of the things I've felt. Maybe you've experienced some of the things I've experienced. But that's not necessary. It, but it is preferable. And just because they've gone through the same things doesn't mean they're in a better place now. I'd say take all the advice you can get, but only use the advice that's beneficial. So, when I was younger, I had a certain view of women. And... I would find it in my language most of the time when they weren't around. You know, the whole just, you know, bitches and hoes thing. And then I always struggled in keeping and maintaining relationships. And I could never figure out why. This isn't the whole reason, but a, a large contribution to that I would be I would say was my influences and how those were causing me to think and view. Does that make sense? I had a guy, a client in the past, and he was, this guy was the real deal. He was a real gangster out of the heart of Louisiana. Never done a drug a day in his life, but he was in treatment because he could not stop selling Addicted to the game is what he said. I can't get out. I don't know how. I don't know anything else. All these, all these reasons, right? So I began to talk to him about influence. What are you listening to? Who are you hanging with? Who are you rolling with? All this kind of stuff. We ultimately came to the conclusion that everything he considered to be gangsta is exactly the same things he needs to get as far away from as possible. 
So everything that you think is cool, everything you think is going to give you a higher status of identity, all those types of things are the very things that are keeping you in the place that you don't want to be. And he just hadn't had that realization before. It's like you're purposefully throwing yourself into the lifestyle that you don't want to have. And you're constantly influencing yourself with the influences you don't want to have. Because it's going to be hard. If you struggle to go to dinner with friends and not have that glass of wine, it would be unwise to go throw yourself continuously into that situation. If you struggle with relationships with men or women, it's probably not wise to listen to songs that over-exaggerate and make the other person the problem all of the time. Does that make sense? So we have to be careful about what it is we consume. Think of it all like seeds. It's eating seed, and they're getting planted. And the more we indulge, the more we are influenced by that, the more it's watered, the more it grows, and eventually we're producing the same type of fruit. Mm-hmm. I'm around great people. They really don't drink. They don't do drugs. And I'm like, I feel like I'm the only one that's hiding it. So I'm hiding around good people. Mm-hmm. And they're morally hard. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just, so I, I don't know. What do you do about that? Well, I would stay as far away from the comparison as possible because as far as you know, they don't do any of those things. Because how many of us had a problem before anyone else knew? Yeah, right? Or how many, yeah, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't cuss. They could be beating the crap out of their wife. They could be screaming at their kids every night. They could be doing shady business in the business world. The point is, is comparison, comparison to another is useless because you don't know. Matthew 7, judge not least ye be judged, and with the measure you judge with will be measured back to you. The word judge there is to presume. If I'm guessing about it, I'm in judgment. If you've told me and you've been honest with me and I bring it up later, I'm not judging. I know. Make sense? So when we look at them, man, their life is going blah, blah, blah. You don't know. Yeah, like they're not pumping pills, they're not drinking, they're not, you know. As I mean? far as you know. As far as yeah. I know, outside looking in, mm-hmm. it's great. And then here I am having to keep myself from not being sick. I mean, I've sat across the table in these places with the CEOs of banks. You would never know. And they have every means available to them for you to not know. They're not draining bank accounts. You know, like they're doing their work and they're doing it efficiently, but they have a problem. You just, you'd never know. I've had men that have carried themselves so well that you were thought they were the most successful person you've ever met and they were homeless. You don't know. Uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson says, the only person you should ever compare yourself with is the person who you were yesterday. And if you don't like the person you were yesterday, consider what that person was listening to, what that person was watching, what that person was saying about themselves and to themselves. 
What behavior was that person engaged in? Were they lying? Were they gossiping? Were they stealing? What were they doing? That's the comparison. Does that make sense? But me looking at you and saying, wow, you have all this, you have all that. Now I'm envious. That's coveting. Now I want what you have. And I'm actually thinking about it at your expense. Now I've deemed you somehow unworthy of it because I should have it. Instead of being like, man, I'm really glad you have all that. That's amazing. And then a further step of humility is coming alongside people that you find to be successful, that you think are wholesome and all those things you'd want, and approach them and ask them if they'll help you. Will you teach me how to do what it is I've seen, you've, I've seen that you've done? Why do you think the industry of like life coaching and all that is just absolutely ridiculously booming right now? It went from a couple million dollar industry a year to almost a billion dollar industry now. All those classes, hey, come take my, pay 15 bucks, take my course, and I'll show you how to do drop shipping. Because people are desperate for people to teach them something, but we're too afraid to approach people we actually know because there's a comparison. It could be the same thing in recovery. It could be the same thing at your church. It could be the same thing at your AA group. I see what they have. I want what they have. I should ask them how they got it. Instead of I see what they have, I want what they have, and look at them on their high horse. That's self-condemnation. And you're using them as the excuse to condemn yourself further. Then we start nitpicking all their possible bad behaviors so we can feel a little bit higher up on the rungs. Again, that comes back to that, that aspect of the more I don't like me, the more everything, about, everything is about me. And I feel like they're up on their purity high horse, and I'm just as high on my own negative pedestal. It's a, comp- it's a high horse, it's just a different horse. Does that make sense? Hypothetical. You're doing good in life. You feel happy. You feel fulfilled. All of those things. Imagine what your decision-making process would look like. Imagine what maybe you'd be doing in your leisure time, what you'd be listening to. That you know, Because we try to listen to things that correspond to how we feel most of the time. What would you be listening to and watching, and who would you be hanging out with, all that kind of stuff? Now, do the same thing if you were feeling bad. Where does your influence turn? If I'm depressed, you know, I'm listening to nothing but Radiohead and Elliot Scott. (laughs) You know? I need sad, slow, depressing music. Thinking it's somehow going to make me feel better by allowing myself to remain in exactly the same state that I found myself. When you're upset, would you say that you're more likely to use? And in the opposite scenario, if you felt like you had everything you needed, are you as likely in your own mind? 
not saying you wouldn't. I'm just asking if you would be more likely. Or would you think you'd have a little bit more of a buffer in that scenario? Especially if you're not listening to a bunch of crap and watching a bunch of crap that's talking about drinking and using drugs all the time. And so what, what, a couple days ago we talked about, like, maybe it was last weekend, but um, about triggers. And if you're always worried about triggers and you're always constantly thinking about using, and if you're trying really hard to not use, you're inevitably always thinking of using. What is, I can't remember what that's called, but, you know, if someone says purple elephant, you can't help but think of purple elephant. Like our brains are wired that way. It's like that reverse psychology type deal. Like don't think of an airplane. Dang it. Thinking of an airplane. So I can't use cocaine, whatever it is. Thinking about cocaine. See how that works? So if I'm listening to things, watching things, and hanging around people that are talking about those things, what is going to be even more so on my mind? Nothing. Mm-hmm. And if my ears and my eyes are gates, I'm the one that grants access. And if I grant access, I find myself in agreement. And then I might start to perceive myself with what it is I've agreed to. Proverbs 23, 7, what a man thinks in his heart, so is he. How do you know if that statement's true? Because you'll find out who you are according to what it is you do. We try to do other things to change who we are, but you have to change who you believe you are in order to do new things. Because of that guilt, that shame, that condemnation, those things that put us back in that box. I want to do better, but I don't think I can be better. So your effort is going to be strong and powerful, but ultimately you might not find the effect you would like. I believe the very last thing in treatment, what we should be talking about is behavior modification. I think behavior will modify itself if we come to a new understanding and a new actual belief. Agreeing with a concept is one thing. Believing that concept to be true is a different thing. Um, what's two plus two? If I told you it was three, would you believe me? Why? <laughs> because it's not. It's a fact, right? It's, I, I know this to be true, right? So if I didn't know math, you could convince me that maybe it's three. You could show me some roundabout, working the problem out, and see, it's three. And I don't know any difference, so it's three. But then I start to learn math, and then I figure out the answer is four. Can I believe it's three anymore? I absolutely can if I choose to. But I have to purposefully deny what I know to be true in order to do it. And guess what that does? It violates my conscience, makes me feel guilty, ashamed, and condemned. So maybe life has told you that you're three and you just haven't figured out that you're four. 
And once you know the truth about you, the only way to go, the only way to revert and believe the lie about you again is purposefully, which violates your conscience. That's why when we use and we do these things, especially when it gets worse and worse each time and we, and we find ourselves a little farther down, a little darker, it seems to get worse and worse because we're feeling more guilty, more ashamed, and we're punishing ourselves more. I'm going to treat myself according to what I believe I'm worth. And this is a hard one because the value I hold for myself is normally how I'll treat others with a similar value. You might love them more than you love yourself, but we treat according to worth. You know that the golden rule, treat others the way you'd like to be treated? It would say, um, okay, this is, again, this is what I believe. It's what they call a parable. A religious religious leader, sorry, comes to Jesus and he wants to trick him. And he says, good teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Because if he answers wrong, they're going to arrest him and kill him, right? They're trying to trick him. What's the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. But then he says, the second one's like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. What happens if you don't love yourself? How is it will how is it will treat a neighbor? I'm not saying that's a fact in all scenarios. But when we say things to the people that we love that we shouldn't have, when we steal and do all that stuff from people that we shouldn't have, people that we love, we're showing ourselves something too. All I'm saying in that type of statement is our behavior, if we will watch it and actually look at it, will teach us some things about ourselves that maybe we didn't know and give us that opportunity to address them and possibly begin to change them. Because I'm not just doing things for no reason. Behavior isn't random. And your body does nothing without your mind first telling it to. You don't have idle hands. Anyone seen that movie? You ever seen Idle Hand? Oh my gosh, that movie's great. <laughs> it's an old one. It's, it's stupid. It's a stupid comedy, but it is funny. Who's in it? Oh God, I'd have to look it up. I mean, it, it was out around the time of like Joe's apartment, you know, like, like early 90s, like junk comedy, you know? But it is pretty funny, though. His hand has a mind of its own, but ours don't, right? Actually, I think I have seen that. It's, I mean, it's, it was I think I early 90s, probably. Yeah. So, but that's the whole thing. It's like, I keep doing things I'm not, I didn't mean to do. That's a hard statement to reconcile because we have to be in agreement for us to actually carry it out. In some way, form, or fashion. I cannot want to do it while wanting to do it at the same time. And that's, that's the problem. I can have a split or mixed desire, right? We, we have it with lots of things. The person's annoying me, and I really want to punch them in the face, but I don't. It's a split desire. It, we make decisions that way with a lot of things all of the time. Um, but if I, you know, I know lots of guys from the Northeast where, like, brawling is just 
fighting, street fighting, brawling in the bars, all that, that is a lifestyle. They're brought up in that. And they're in, that's their constant influence. So someone runs their mouth or whatever, and that's their first go-to. And then they do it, and they didn't want, you know, like they feel bad afterward, and they were talking about it, and they're like, man, I, 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 I didn't want to do it. And that's how I was brought up. I can't help it. And I said, that's where you're wrong. How we were brought up has influenced us so significantly that we're not aware of it in a lot of cases. Like I'm, uh, me and my wife just started the love languages study. And we've already been talking about a lot of things that I prefer in that manner stem from my childhood and how I was brought up. Same with her. But are those things permanent? So I would say my love language comes from things that I feel like I need, right? I have a place of lack maybe in that area, and that helps fulfill that need, right? What happens when I begin to feel fulfilled in that need? Would my love language change to another area that might need some need? It might. That's conceptual. That's just a concept. I don't know. But maybe some of these behaviors, too, are the essence of something that is in lack. Whether it be... For me, I had eating disorder growing up, so I had body image issues. Right? Um... I believed I was stupid, so anything intellectual that would take my would require me to take time and be thorough and look through, I was afraid of. So I wouldn't I wouldn't do those things. And if those types of situations came up, I would slowly fade in, into the background to not get called out because I had a fear of that. And there's all these things that I developed growing up that aren't the case now, but it took realizing those things and then doing some hard work to try and grow through them. And the goal is not perfection. It's just the goal is always forward. But I think, okay, I think maybe we said this maybe a weekend or two ago, like that one song comes on the radio and that was like the song like you used to or like, my, mine, for instance, a big trigger album for me is the Chronic 2001. Dr. Dre and Eminem. I hear some of those songs and I'm looking for papers, you know? <laughs> it's just, that's what it brings to my mind. It's a memory, right? What we typically do, that happens and we like, oh, I remember this song? And now we're on a trail of influence. We're entertaining something we probably shouldn't be, right? Y'all haven't, y'all haven't really done anything yet, but a lot of times someone's playing a song in here and I'll walk by and say, change it. I love the song. I said, I'm not asking you for you. I don't like where it takes my mind. I'm not going to sit there and entertain it. Does that make sense? We haven't done that here yet. No. Like I said, I've always, I'm a musician. I've always been very specific about the type of like music that I listen to. I always have been. 
the guys I was in a band with always joked and said that I was a musician that didn't like music. Because I, I don't listen to music very often. And when I do, I'm very particular. But, like, you throw on Sublime, I'm going to be three or four songs in before I catch myself. Every single one of their albums, all the live albums, I, can, I have it memorized to the sound. I don't need it on to listen to it. I can listen to it right now in my head perfectly. I mean, I, I, when I find music I like, I, I know all of it, right? Um, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, same thing. So all those types of things. So there's certain places I won't let myself go, not because I don't think I'm strong enough to overcome them, but simply because it's not wise. I don't need to test myself all the time to see if I can just bear it. Sometimes it's better to just say, I'm not going to let myself go there. Because what if it's the end of the day and then I have a 30-minute drive home and that wheel might be spinning? I don't want to put myself in that scenario. I know how to combat those things now pretty successfully, but why? Does that make sense? There's no reason for me to do that. Do I enjoy that music? Very much so. Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin is the only reason I ever began playing the guitar in the first place. But I can't allow myself. I've disciplined myself too that I can do a little bit here and there. And I do. But I don't let myself go down those rabbit holes anymore. So, two questions. Um, you played in a metal band, right? I did. So, did... Once you started getting sober, did you find it hard to still listen to metal? Because, I mean, there's, there's a lot of metal that doesn't necessarily talk. I mean, there's a lot that you don't even know what the heck they're actually saying. I do. Well, because yeah. I'm, I learned how to listen. You yeah. know, to my mom always said, I don't know why you play that music. Oh, you just get up there and scream. I said, it's just so easy to do that. I said, do it. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, okay, okay, maybe it's not that easy, you know. But, no, I still listen to a lot of metal, but I had to find new groups New bands. There are one of my favorite one of my probably my favorite band of all time is a band called Four Today, and they are freaking. When it comes to the music itself, they're amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, unfortunately, they're not together anymore, so there's only like four or five albums, and I had them suckers memorized. So the other, <laughs> the other question to that, so like. For me, Steve Raybon. Um, I'm the same oh, yeah. way. What oh, you're yeah. talking about, I've got every one of them memorized. I mean, I know note for note, not on guitar, but I just I can recognize the music very mm-hmm. quickly. His he has nobody some, sounds like Steve, bro. Yeah, he has some recovery songs, but it wasn't so much that he was singing about things that, that could take my mind somewhere else as much as I know his backstory and he did a lot of things. And so knowing what he did, I, I mean. That, I mean, how does that fit in with what you were talking about? about I would, I would, yeah, I would ask, where does it take you? Yeah. Right? Because, I mean, there's a handful, you know, there's lots of, like, classic rock bands that don't overtly talk about anything, but they do subliminally a lot. Yeah. Um, classic rock is just into windows to music. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I'd say there's a few exceptions. Jimi Hendrix, but he does have some drug talk in there. Yeah. Stevie Ray Vaughan. More the relationship type factor when it comes to what he's actually singing about. Yeah. I'm saying you gotta 
Okay, society has told us how to follow our heart, right? Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. Proverbs says, above all, guard your heart. My heart doesn't always want to go places that are good for it. Just like my kids don't always want to eat things that are good for them. There's a desire to do something that is, has no benefit or a detrimental benefit, right? So I need to be aware of myself and I need to make decisions of, yes, I would like to, but should I? I really miss that group of friends, but I know what they're doing. And the pain, almost kind of going back to the grief of like letting some of those things go hurts. But what's the, bene- what, what's the consequence if you don't? Or the potential consequence, rather. Because maybe they're not using it at that time, but maybe it's, you don't look at your clock and it's getting a little late and you, you go over here and you come back and they've already brought something out and you're in a bad spot now. For me, especially early on in recovery, there wasn't, I didn't allow myself to be in that situation because the few times that I did, it was really, really bad. I didn't always succumb. But what it did to here for days wasn't worth it anymore. It would take days, if not weeks, to pull myself out of some of those mindsets. That's something as simple as a song could trigger. So the influence is huge. So fortunately, you know, they say you're going to have to shun all your friends away and all that. That's not necessarily true. When I said I was no longer going to participate in certain things, most of my friends walked away themselves. And you're going to find that out. And that hurts. It feels like betrayal. Um, but it also goes to show you that the relationship y'all had might not have ever been about the relationship. Right? We served each other a benefit and comfortable company to experience that benefit, right? And then there's the people that want to stick around, and they're willing, just like I had friends that drank casually. If we were hanging out, they didn't care. They wouldn't drink. They'd just hang out. And you have, you have people like that. You'll be surprised, and you'll be surprised at who it is, too, most of the time. But, and then... Sometimes spouses go home and they have a spouse that drinks and they refuse to not drink. I'm not saying they drink a lot. I'm not saying they have a problem like that, but they're like, no, I'm, I'm going to have my few drinks every now and again. You know, it's Saturday and the, and the football game's on. That's hard, that's hard places. What do you do in those scenarios? Do you need to leave the house for your own sake? You might have to. Are they going to like that? Probably not. Or do I sit there and allow myself to be influenced before I've gained the power and the know-how and the resolve to become the influencer? Because you're in one of two positions no matter where it is you are. You are the influencee or the influencer. And I'd say we're both most of the time because you have an influence on me and I have an influence on you. 
We're kind of in the battle like that. That's why I say OQP, only quality people. Because if you're going to have an influence on me, I would prefer it to be beneficial. The music that I listen to now, it has to be within a certain realm. Like, there's, there's lots of Christian music I listen to because I don't agree with it theologically, so I don't sit there and entertain it either. I'm pretty strict when it comes to some of these things. For myself, I don't, I don't care what anyone else listens to. It doesn't bother me. But when it comes to me and what I'm going to let, especially when I'm aware something's beginning to influence me, like that Sublime, song's on, Sublime song comes on, that's all good and well until I'm aware that, oh, it sparked a thought or a feeling or something like that. Then I'm going to get pretty protective over it pretty quick. Or have you ever been, just get those random songs stuck in your head, but they seem to be right along the lines of what it is you're feeling at the time? That's not accidental. Sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes you're feeling really crummy and a really positive song pops in your head. That's not accidental either. They're both influences and they're all vying for attention. It's not as simple as just saying, I don't want to think about that. I wish it were. Because, oh my God, what is it? What is that stupid song? That Panic at the Disco song? Dude, I will push, I will stop that song immediately. Because when I hear like the first opening line, it is in my head for like a week. And it drives me crazy. And it's every single freaking time. I hate it. I hate it. Even if I like the song at one point in time, all it does is torment me now. <laughs> and I can't do it. So I, oh, I was really bad one time. Like I was waking up in the morning with it just like first thought like, dang it. So I, I began to just sing other songs in spite. Like completely opposite, you know, usually a worship song or something like that. And then I did that for several days because, I mean, it would pump my head like freaking six, seven, eight times a day just mocking me. And I would do that every time. And then I found three or four days later I woke up with that worship song that I was singing in my head instead. And that went on for about a day or two before I realized it. That's pretty cool. There's, I had a change of influence, right? And then I was seeing that kind of produced almost in real time. That's pretty cool. Is that going to work for you? Is it going to work every time? I can't answer that, but it's something that I practice now because it seems to help and work for me. Especially uh, another one's uh, Chop Suey, System of Down. I can't stand this one. But I'm just saying, once it's there, dude, it's there, and I got I got to do some work to get that sucker out, you know? There's nothing useful about that it's just that beat that gets sucked in my head all, all day and I'm like oh. <laughs> but it's one of those things I have to very actively work against that because it sticks in my head like a spike dude like I don't know why There's, it's just certain things that do that or sometimes I'm really aware that I'm having the types of thoughts that I don't normally have right all of a sudden I'm talking very horribly about myself or about someone else. I don't typically do that. 
And you're like, and it's almost to the point where it catches you off guard. Like, whoa, whoa. And that used to drive me crazy because I always thought that was me. Then I came to the conclusion that not every thought that I have is my own. Because just like I don't conjure those songs that get stuck in my head, I'm probably not responsible for every single thought that crosses my mind either. So my system in that manner is it comes up. My first question I ask myself, is it true? Is it true? Because it can be awful stuff. Family member or relative or a spouse, and you know, they always do that. They're stupid. Like, whoa, that's not normally where I go in this type of situation. Is this true? Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. That changes where I'm going to go in my investigation. But if it's not true, I dismiss it. Because if it ain't true, I ain't got no business entertaining it. I'm not going to try to prove something that's not true to be true. Because that, that has effects on me. That has effects on my disposition. That has effects on, on my language, how I speak. It's going to change my body language, if, especially because now I'm just not okay all of a sudden because I had this thought that I'm entertaining. And say it was towards you, and all of a sudden I'm getting, you're seeing that I'm getting tense and my language towards you change, and I'm getting short and cold with you, all that kind of stuff. I don't want that. Especially Especially if it ain't true in the dadgum first place. It's not worth it. And now you feel bad and somehow feel justified in it and the other person is completely clueless. Or it's about your job or, you know, whatever. My boss always does that. If I'm, always, if I'm saying always, I'm usually pretty quick to check myself because when I am say you always or you never, I'm usually exaggerating and there's probably a reason. I'm trying to justify me in my feelings at the moment, most likely, when I'm talking about myself. And then if I keep entertaining that, I'm going to come to coworker A and coworker B that might feel the same way and now we're going to make our little group and all we're going to do is talk smack about the boss and the company all day long and before you know it I'm a disgruntled worker and I can't be happy until X, Y, and Z and my job changes I didn't even consider myself within it if that changes or they change or that changes then I'll be good if that's the thought process you need to ask yourself where you lie because maybe jobs, how they're, just how they are, maybe they're supposed to suck. Or at least a little bit, because it is work. You know, it's not called fun, it's called work. Probably has a couple aspects to it that are purposefully going to suck. That's why they pay you money to do it. If it was fun, they wouldn't have to pay you. You'd pay to do it. Right? So maybe I'm going through something and maybe I need to decide that you know it's a job and I need to maybe start practicing some gratitude or something like that change my thought process on my job start noticing the things that are going correctly how can I help these things that I don't think are going correctly? how can I help them get better maybe I can sit down and brainstorm with my boss and I don't know here's something crazy maybe I actually explain to them how I feel because people hate talking to their bosses for some reason But do you see that 
now I'm in this place now because I'm, I'm, maybe I'm believing something that might not actually be true about my job. And I'm surrounded by people that feel the same way as I do. And all we're doing is licking each other's wounds and no one's getting any better. And we get worse every day. More disgruntled, more displeased, more discontent. And as soon as everything happens, the biggest joy of our day is finally rolling our chair over to this other person and say, can you believe that this happened? You can't wait to tell someone about the horrible, the, this terrible thing. And then we go home, sit on the couch, and wonder why we're not fulfilled in life. Because if you're doing that to your job, there's probably fair to say you might be doing that in other aspects of life too. So all those types of things. What happens if I start hanging around the, the people at that job that are carrying the load and they're actually helping further their company and they understand maybe how some of the processes and things that I don't understand work? And I look at them and they're over there. They're always laughing and having, seemingly having a good time. And we're over here in our dark little corner. I want to go be with them because they seem like, even if the job still sucks, they seem like they're having a better time and they're probably a little happier than I am at the moment. I would like to change my influence. But sometimes it feels good to entertain that kind of crap. We feel justified in it. Just because you feel justified in something, don't make it correct. I have lots of ideas and things that I used to think were true, even in groups like this that I know now aren't. So I had to make corrections. I didn't just get frustrated with you know, psychology and therapy because they need to change. Like, oh, maybe there's, maybe I didn't know some stuff and now I do and I should probably change my perspective on that. Or I can go talk to the people that don't know what they're talking about and get influenced by them and just reinforce the fact that I'm right even though I'm obviously not. So influence is super important, man. And it's going to go way past peers. It's easy to say the peers made me do it, but the only way a peer can pressure you to do anything is if you are needing to impress or feel like you belong in some type of way. I would ask the ladies in here what's one of the most the ideal man, what would be the most attractive part of the ideal man that is not physical? Personality. Personality in what manner? Um, makes, makes me laugh. Makes you laugh? Mm-hmm. What do you have to be to make someone laugh? Tell Funny. But a comedian, when he goes on stage, he has to be confident. If he's nervous and shaky, mm-hmm. everyone picks up on that. What about you? Personality. Personality? Uh, Can I just, uh, name one thing or? Sure, name a few. Um, honest, caring, loyal. Honest, caring, and loyal. Those are great qualities. What happens when you aren't hanging around with people that carry those attributes? I'm not going to find that perfect man, or they're going to turn me into that kind of person. Right, so if those are the things you're wanting, then you should probably be around people that influence those types of things. 
that hold those things as a high value because we can all say we have high values. It's wrong to steal, yet we've stolen. I hate liars, and yet we've lied. I don't like being disrespected, yet we disrespect. And when we're around people that, if we're around people that practice those types of things and they're dishonest or they, we see them disrespecting others, all that kind of stuff, then we are being influenced in that manner and we're slowly convincing ourselves that maybe that's okay. Same thing with using all of them. I hang out with my buddies on Saturdays. We just play poker and they just drink a little bit. Well, how many Saturdays is it going to take until maybe that influence is growing just enough? And we're too afraid to ask them, hey, can y'all please not let me get in on a few games and then I'll split and then y'all can do whatever you'd want and find out if they're your friend. If they can't be inconvenienced by you for a couple hours, they might not be your friend. And then you know it's, they're not part of that OQP and they might have a negative influence. <laughs> I don't know. what You brought up the topic. What do you think? I didn't hear that last word. I said you brought up the topic. What do you think? What, what would you say is a big influence in your life that might be either really, really positive or, you know, negative? Well, I would definitely be the negative one. Okay. I mean, most of who I hang around is positive. So what would you say would the things around you, the influences around you that would help you maintain that negativity? Do you think that has influence on others? Yes. For the negative or for the positive? For the negative. If I get in a bad mood, then it's going to put everybody else in a bad mood. Right, now everyone has to tiptoe on the eggshells, right? Exactly. Yeah. Because they're afraid. But when I'm in a good mood, everybody else is in a good mood. Now they're free to be in a good mood. Exactly. And that's how influence works. That's exactly how influence works, whether it be from a movie or from a song or from a person or a job or whatever. That's how influence works. We walk in, we're human. We are, we feel each other. We walk into a room. If there's tension in the room, you're pretty aware, you know, pretty quickly. And then all of a sudden, if it's tense, what do we get? Very tense. We get tense. So influence is super powerful and I don't know. 10 years of this that I've barely heard people talk about it other than just don't hang around with people that use drugs. Like, yeah, that's, that's obvious. Let's talk about the things that aren't obvious, you know. Maybe the things that will push us back into that place that are subtle and that we might be doing on a constant or regular basis. Because I know people that you can't find them without an earbud in. Constant. And not only is it influential, it's extremely distracting too. And we can hide in it and all those types of things. So it's all really powerful. So if you feel like you're the influencer of your home, then like someone in my life that loved me very much told me at one point, like you're going to have to get over yourself so that other people can be free from you. Yeah, for sure. You know? 
and then the process of figuring out what that looks like for you can be tedious, but it's 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 possible. It's there. There's hope for that. Well, I notice how many people actually follow me, especially my girlfriend and what I do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what my girlfriend said to me the other day was the first time you went to uh, rehab, I was glad you were gone. It was easier. Mm. <clears throat> and. This time, she says, I just miss the hell of it. So I noticed the things that have changed. So there's been some change. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the whole point, because we want to go back and we want to just nail it. You know what nailing it looks like? Failing and then not failing in that manner again. And then failing and learning and not being quick to apologize, being good at communicating, being honest. The things that we used to not do that kept everyone on eggshells. So they don't have to perform to us to our liking so that we don't explode. So we're not manipulating the entire situation. We're addressing ourselves and in giving other people permission and the place to actually speak and help. Because that criticism is amazing, dude. It'll help. I promise. Hey, man, I noticed you're just in a bad mood today. And I feel like you've been kind of blah, 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 blah. And when we're in that mode, we're really easy to get defensive and bark and... The eggshells, the eggshells are back. Permission to, to drink because now that I pissed them off, now that there's mm-hmm. then I'm free to drink. Yep. And then how confused would they be if you were just like, "Thank you for bringing that to my attention. I'm a little upset right now, but I do want to think about that, and I don't want to speak to you in a manner in which you're not worthy of." They by, what'd you just say? <laughs> you know, like it's a different approach. Like criticism, we always feel that little stab of it at first because if we feel like we're, our failures are being pointed out, but we have to understand the reason they're being pointed out so that we don't continue with them. And then you can't change anything you're not aware of because you might be doing some stuff you're not aware of. They might see something in how you're carrying yourself and they're like, what's wrong with you? And you're like, nothing's wrong, but they see your body language. They see these types of things that they're familiar with and they recognize them. you might not. Oh, okay. Super quick. Mm-hmm. Like, say, when I got out to 30, you know, the first time I was here, you know, a couple of weeks in, whatever, I started here and there, having a drink, and like, shit, I guess just the shit I do, or whatever, the way I talk, I like, man, that quick. Mm-hmm. You can drink it, you know, blah, blah, you're throwing all that away, like, man, she's on my ass every day. Dude, nothing will change your nothing will change your body language, your how you carry yourself, your countenance, and all that type of stuff quicker than the violation of your own conscience. Because of how you're treating yourself, it's manifested. People are aware of it; they can see it, they can feel it, and that's the thing that gets us the most. Especially if we slipped up and had that drink, or got called out for something, or whatever, and. We know they're right. You're calling out where my conscience is violated, and now it's written all over my face. The heart on the sleeve, right? 